uh, the past few weeks, we've been going through stories of Jesus' encounters. Um, I always find it insightful to see how Jesus, the God-man walking on earth, walked and encountered people. And so as we gather together, today we stumble upon the story of the Samaritan woman. And uh, just curious, if, raise your hand if you heard of the woman, Samaritan woman story. Um, and these days I ask that because uh, more and more America has become less biblically literate. We, we, we have uh, failed to instill upon Bible stories to our young generations. And so we want to revisit these stories. And this is a common, common story, but every time I read it, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older, you always see something different. So let's go into it. In Rich Man, Poor Man, uh, author Jeff Shrev talks about this rug in Cambridge University in England. It was in a chaplain's home where C.S. Lewis even stayed. And they said, this is a filthy, dirty rug. Let's just get rid of it. And as they were looking at the rug, uh, someone did a little research. And they were about to throw it out. And they found out it was an old Persian rug. And the value of it was $4,000 a square meter. And it's been there before C.S. Lewis stayed there, and it was so raggedy that people just treated it like garbage. The total worth of the value of this rug was $250,000. It was a great treasure, something so valuable that they didn't know what they had. And then this is what he writes. And because they didn't know what they had, they misused it, they abused it, and they took it for granted. They wiped their feet on it, they spilled food on it. They didn't realize that they had such a treasure in that Persian rug. So if we don't know the value of something, we tend to misuse it and abuse it. And I share that story because I want to say sometimes people are treated this way. These valuable beings created by God, they're abused, they're misused, they're neglected. Because for whatever reason, society has said you're not valuable. And so maybe some of us have felt that way. We see that in this world. And, and the one place, if I'm being ideal and theological, the church has to be the one place where we see the value of every human being. If there's any place, organization in the world, it's the church. Because we know our creator. We know whose image we're made in. We know this is a place of good news. And God is inviting all of us to him. And so some people use this phrase these days, do you see them? Do you see me? It's a, it's a figure of speech saying, do you recognize my value and worth? Do you see them walking on the street? Do you see that they're not meant to be discarded? They're not meant to be uh, thrown away by society. They're recognized. And so we do things like angel tree because incarcerated families sometimes are discarded. Oh, you know, your fat father messed up, you're in the minority. So Angel Tree comes in and says, no, your children, your families are still valuable to God, even though you may have made a mistake. This is why we reach out to the homeless, and this is why we try to stay as a church, not focus on our own needs, but to rally together and serve the community around us. And so humans are not wasted Persian rugs. We have value because God says we have value. And so I share this because of today's story. And this is the picture of today's story. Next slide. 
And if I could retitle this sermon or this text, it's A Samaritan Woman, Jesus, and the Well. By the way, this is a painting from Rembrandt, um, and we'll talk about it. His, the title of this painting is Christ and the Woman from Samaria. And so this woman is a valuable woman made in the image of God, but she is kind of unseen. And I think that's a point that John's trying to make. She is invisible to society. So she's first a Samaritan, so the Jews would despise her. It's almost as heated as today, Israel and Palestine. Just, they just will not get along. And as a woman, she's subject to a scandalous life. We later on, how many husbands has she had? Five. And in Bible study this Wednesday, I asked, how many times was Elizabeth Taylor married? You know, uh, and so, so this is our conference. But the difference with her is she is going after one after another, and right now she's with a man who is not her husband, a sixth man. And so a lot of scholars can't agree on this, but I think I summarize it to this. Either she was subject to the men who abused her because in Jewish custom, did you know that a man could just divorce his wife for having a bad meal? Literally, you cook and burn this food, I want a divorce. The woman has no say. This is the first generation Palestine. And so either she was abused, thrown away, and used, or two, she was the one initiating this kind of lifestyle because she was searching for something that she couldn't find. And so in Rembrandt's painting, I want us to take a look at this picture as we zoom in on the woman. Take a moment, look at this woman, just study her, her face, her posture, and just what's the first thing that stands out to you and just share it with someone right next to you. What's, what's the, what sticks out to you about her? This is a brilliant painting and I'm not even an art history major, but this made me really love art. <laughs> All right. So, so call it out. What, what's, what's it out to you about her? She is exhausted. She is angry. Angry. Excellent. You saw that expression. She is, and one more. What's it out? Yeah. She, and so a couple of things that other people have, I'm pulling together. She is first alone. She came at the noontime. She didn't come with anyone. Her, where, where is, where's the boyfriend, by the way? Where's the boy? Guys, carry the basket for your woman if you have a chance. Um, she is lonely. You kind of see everyone goes to get water in the morning. She comes at sixth hour, which is the hottest time, the noon. Uh, she is poor. How do we know she's poor? She doesn't have a servant to carry the water. Her sleeves are rolled up. She's wearing sandals and she's wearing a raggedy dress. She is scarred. You could tell the hardness. She is strong. Boy, you don't see a timid woman, do you? Um, I, I saw she's independent. Look at her posture, the way she leans in. It's a little bit aggressive, isn't it? It's a little bit like what do you have to say to me? <laughs> she is not intimidated. A couple other things we see, she's not flirting. There's no like romantic 
trying to feel her. She's not intimidated by Jesus. By the way, I asked um, one of our Bible study members, we're going to talk about Jesus, but what does Jesus look like? And what I, one of our members said, he's kind of just looking into the cloud and just off in the distance. And you kind of see that a little bit. She's the center character. A professor in seminary, Princeton Seminary, said this. She's a very cheeky woman. Doesn't mind getting a little irreverent. And as we listen to the words that Connie Hirschman read to us today in John 4, we find a little bit more about her. What do you find out? She's curious. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? She's curious. Who is it that taught with talk? Are you crazy? She's also one of my favorite features growing up in New Jersey. She's kind of sarcastic. Did you catch the sarcasm? Sir, if you have this living water, give it to me so I don't have to keep coming back here. Sarcasm. I would love that kind of water. That wasn't in there. But you kind of hear that tone. Um, you also catch she's hiding something. She says to the question, go bring your husband. Say, statement, go bring your husband. She says what? Oh, I don't have a husband. That's what we call like a truthful lie. Like, you're, you're saying the truth, but you're really covering up other things. I don't have a husband. And he says, you're right, you don't. Because you've had five, and you're living with a guy who is not your husband. But there's two things that stand out that's amazing about her. She knows her theology. And she knows Israel history. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. And lastly, at the end... We find out she's really longing for something. When you read this, you, you feel, you empathize with her. You don't empathize with Jesus. I don't think that's the point of the story. You empathize with her. I'm seeking. I'm lonely. I've, I've had a track record. And sometimes I just stand defiant because I have nothing else to do. I could do. And she says at the end, looking for something, I know that the Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. So she's looking forward to hope. And sometimes all we want to be is seen and to survive in this community. And that's this woman. And so look, look, look at Jesus. And I don't want to focus too much because Rembrandt, I don't think, is making the, if you look at the light, it's on the woman. Jesus is there. By the way, do you see another group of people? Do you see the disciples? Who sees the disciples? You know, and they're back and they're going, what is he doing with her? <laughs> so you see them in the background, but the focus is on her. And someone else pointed out, if you look, there's a barrier between her and Jesus. It's this well. And so Jesus, uh, we find out from this text, he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. Now, when you say to get to La Mirada, I have to pass Highway 91. Right? That's a geographical statement. I have to pass it. But the way John writes it, it's, it's like a double, double meaning. It's almost as if Jesus had a divine appointment to meet with this woman. He had to go through Samaria for a reason, and he had to meet her. So in John 4, Jesus sees a, you see Jesus breaking the mold of a religious leader. In this posture, this is taboo. This would be on National Enquirer. This would be on TikTok. This would be like scandal. Jesus talks to a woman. 
because this was a Jewish law. Let me read it for us. There was a law which said one should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife. That's interesting. And certainly not with somebody else's wife because of the gossip of men, referring to religious leaders. So if we were to live in this kind of rule, that'd be kind of fun to try one Sunday. Just men just walk outside, just don't talk to them. <laughs> but this was a strict rule, and you see Jesus doesn't sin. He breaks the customs of the world. Sometimes the society rules are not fair. Sometimes what we all say is, oh, that's the norm, may in itself be something broken. And so when Jesus goes into this direction with her, this woman is just marveling. Why are you talking to me? And so what do you observe about Jesus in this story? I want to, let's focus on Jesus. So you have the woman, you have Jesus, and we're going to get to the well. My favorite part of this story is the well. We'll get to that. What do you notice about Jesus in this story? Why was he at the well? He was thirsty. Uh, my professor brought a guest speaker at Fuller, and he said, it's kind of crass, but he's trying to make a point. He's like, did you ever wonder if Jesus had smelly feet? <laughs> did you ever wonder if Jesus had to relieve gas? You know, we don't think like this, right? And it's, it's kind of crude, and it almost sounds like blasphemous. But no, we have to accept what? Jesus was fully, truly human. He wasn't just a clean God with blonde hair with white robe. He even got thirsty. And so this see, we see Jesus was wearied as he was traveling on his journey and was sitting by a well. It was the sixth hour. It was noon. It was hot. And Jesus said, I need water. Wow, this humanity of Jesus that could relate with us. We also find out from this, he's ironically the living water. If you knew the gifts of God and who it is that is asking you, give me a drink you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. But we also find out he's also omniscient. We knew this. Go call your husband and come here. She said, I don't have a husband. He said, you're right. You have had five husbands, and now you're with a man who is not your husband. And he says, what you have said is true. Now, like, if you do this in 21st century, um, I don't know how people would respond. Um, I think women would be offended. How dare you talk about my private life like that? Um, I hear this a lot in church world. You know, it's a private matter. And here's Jesus doing the opposite, peeling back the layers and saying one of the most embarrassing things, potentially shameful things. You are a woman who's had many men. Uh, I, I don't, you know, when I date Kathy, you know, one of the things that you want to do is tell about your past and history and stuff. And it's not comfortable sometimes. It's like, I'm not so proud of this. And what Jesus does is he doesn't just say, well, we won't talk about it. He says, let's talk about it. What is he doing? He's highlighting there is a wound in your heart. There is something you're looking for. And if you had just recognized who is talking to you, you would have living water. And what I love about this is she doesn't get mad. She doesn't get defensive. She doesn't say, well, 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 what about you? I, I, that's like one of the worst debates. What about you? Are you perfect? She just simply says, I see you're a prophet. She's not angered, defensive. She's not walking away. She's not closed off, but she's drawn. And I'm thinking at this moment, just picture that painting. What kind of look is Jesus giving her? 
condescending, belittling. No, he's giving her this look that she has never felt. A look that no one in society has given to her for whatever reason. Like, I'm valuable. (laughs) I, I mean something to someone. And so she's engaging with him, and the gospel, according to Jesus, does this. And this is why I... I don't like fundamentalists and I don't like progressivism. What you see Jesus here is he never ignores the sin. He doesn't say, that's just the way you are. We'll celebrate it. No, he doesn't say that. He, doesn't, he says, this is a broken piece of your life. But at the same time, he gives us grace without condemnation. And then at the end, we find out from Jesus, he tells the woman, you know the Messiah you just talked about? And I love how Connie read it. I am he you know what makes that astounding is who did jesus talk to in the previous chapter john 3 does anybody remember at middle of the night he met with some guy his name was nicodemus where he jesus finally tells that famous line for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and at the end of verse 10 nicodemus jesus says to him you're a teacher and you don't understand this But you see, this woman gets it. See, God has a way of engaging clarity and truth to those who are humble. And everything that Jesus has planned is coming, unfolding. And so I want to go to this well. You know, I've never thought of the well. Have you thought of the well in this story? You've always thought about the woman in Jesus? Well, 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 well. Let's talk about the well. So we have this well. What's the name of this well? It's Jacob's well, right? We don't know the history behind it, but do you know the significance of the well in the Old Testament? Well, I read this article from Matthew Westerholm. I can't take credit. This was brilliant. He's a writer for the Gospel Coalition, and I want to share a few things that just makes the whole Bible just beautifully one story. So he goes back to Genesis, and he says, ponder all the relationships that happen at the well. So as we think about it, Genesis 24, here's the next picture. Isaac was a bachelor. Next picture. Isaac was a bachelor. His mom and dad, Abraham and Sarah, said, I don't want him to marry someone, anyone randomly. So they sent a servant to find a husband, a wife for Isaac. I thank God my mom never did that to me. Uh, But it works for a lot of people, you know. Sometimes setting up is good. Isaac's servant goes, and he prays to God, what? In Genesis 24, God, show me who this woman is. I will ask a woman at the well to give me a drink. And if she also waters my camel, I know it's her. And here comes Rebecca. Give me a drink. Gives the servant water. And she, without any mentioning, waters a camel. He says, oh my goodness, this is the one. Later on, next generation, next slide, Genesis 29, Isaac's son, Jacob, is also sent away to go find a wife. And this story, Jacob finds himself by a well. And it says this well was covered with a large stone that it took a few men to lift it and carry it. And I love this part. Um, I do believe in this. If, you know, guys, women, do you believe if a man is crazy about a woman, he'll do anything? <laughs> I heard sure. Okay, so, so uh, I tell my daughters, 
when you're dating, the guy will say and do anything to think that you're the world. But look at the full picture before you go crazy Google Gaga, because guy's in that moment. But in this story, he's sitting by the well. The well is covered with a stone. And it says in verse 9 through 11, I think this is hilarious. While he was speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, and she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near, rolled the stone from the well's mouth, and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Now, he doesn't catch there. He was so struck by her beauty, he got this incredible strength <laughs> to move this stone by himself just so he could impress and give Rachel water. Now, that's love. That's... And then later on, it says, next verse, this is sexual harassment. This is a uh, you know, Me Too movement in 21st century. He grabbed her and kissed her and wept aloud. But, and they, but they lived happily ever after. Third, third, who remembers where did Moses meet his wife? Next slide. Remember Moses killed an Egyptian for harassing a Jew? He ran away. He found himself by a well. And then these Jethro's daughters came. And then they started getting harassed by raiders. So Moses, you know, remember uh, the Ten Commandments? Charles, Charlton Heston gets up and beats up all these guys. And the girls are like, ah, he's so strong. And then, and then that happened at a well. And amongst the daughters was a woman named Zipporah. And he married Zipporah. You know, is this coincidence? When you see this pattern in the Bible... It could be a coincidence. It could be a stretch. But think about today's story. Jesus encounters this woman at the well. It, it's almost as, as if it's saying, if you look at the patriarchs of old, they found their true love. They found the one that, to whom they were meant to be with at this well. And in the, all the Gospels, Jesus is never mentioned next to a well once other than here. It's almost this picture, this woman, the woman you've been waiting for, the love you've been waiting for, that you've been chasing after, you found him because you too are a child of Abraham. You too are a child of God. And the person you've been waiting for doesn't come from another person. It is the living water, Jesus Christ. Matthew Westerholm, I want to bring it home with this. He says, just like Isaac's story, Jesus sat by the well and asked the woman for a drink. Just like Jacob's story, Jesus offered her a drink, and when she questioned him, she gave him the water. Uh, just like Moses' story, Jesus dealt with the harassment of this woman's heart, quote-unquote. Wow. And if I go further, the fact that Jesus rolled the stone away from a well to, to show his love, I can't help but to think that his death and resurrection, that stone was rolled away, that God proves his love for us. This is the final kind of timepiece. Isaac's servant met Rebecca, right? Do you know the, when Isaac met Rebecca for the first time? When the servant brought Rebecca home? Abraham, Sarah, I, I succeeded. Here is the wife for Isaac. This is mind-boggling. Isaac was coming back from a place called Beer Lahoy Roy. Do you know what that literally means? <laughs> he was coming back from a well that Hagar named. And the name of the well was, 
the well of the God who lives and sees me. And Isaac comes and meets Rebecca. What does this all mean? I think if there's anything we could take away, it's this. <laughs> this is not a coincidence that we see the woman at the well. What this is, is Jesus is the true living water. He's the true source of refreshment. He's the true source of love, the groom that you and I have been waiting for. And our hope is in nothing else in this whole world than in Jesus Christ. So we are the women who are chasing after this world. We go to church and we're thinking that there's something out there that will make me happy. And I'm going to say emphatically to the children, to all of us, the only love we truly need that will satisfy and complete us is not the Jerry Maguire story of you complete me. <laughs> it's the Jesus story of I am the Messiah, the living water who loves you. And we will never know true love apart from Christ. I'm going to say that. I'm going to emphatically say this. We will never know true love apart from knowing Jesus Christ. And so this is the good news. This is a story of the Samaritan woman. And this is the hope that we have. And this is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper to say this groom gave himself for us so we could be his. We are the bride. He is the bridegroom. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for this good news. Thank you, God, for knowing our flaws and our brokenness, knowing the shame that we try to hide from one another and you. But, Lord, you, you address it. You embrace us through it. Thank you, God, that we don't come to you after we clean ourselves, but you come to us. And we encounter this true love in the well of the living water. That we, too, are drawn into this relationship with a perfect family, with a perfect relationship that is only in you. God, may this message be engraved in all of our hearts as a church so we find security for the hope to minister to the world that needs the same hope. We're not delusional. We're not, we're not people who believe in a fake created being. We believe in you, God, who has shown himself to the world, revealed yourself in miraculous ways, proven yourself to be the true Messiah, and we are yours. Would you seal that as we receive these, uh, the Lord's Supper at this moment? And for those who are on the cusp of belief, would you tip them over? Would you whisper into their soul and their heart, your love for them, that they are the one that you've been, they've been waiting for, that you are the one that makes them whole. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.